the secret to marketing, if what we're here to do is help people make decisions, is to understand how they make decisions and people only make decisions in pursuit of values alignment. So as a marketer, our job is to give people as much values alignment as possible. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. Let me share with you what you've gotten yourself into. In short, it's going to be a good time. We're going to have great conversation and there's going to be a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I am here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. I am so ready to chat with my guest today. Are you ready to listen? In today's episode, we are covering value graphics with David Allison. No, we're not related, but thanks for asking. He is a marketing maverick and visionary, former ad agency creative director turned branding expert. He's the founder of the groundbreaking Value Graphics Project, best-selling author of We Are All the Same Age Now and The Death of Demographics, Changing How Brands See People for Values-Driven World. Speaker, art collector, fitness enthusiast, he's based out of Vancouver, Canada. Let's talk marketing with David Allison. David, welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast. I'm really excited to have you on here, not only because you're an amazing conversationalist, but I'm also obsessed with your book. I actually reread it, which is fantastic. So thank you for coming on. So you're the person who's read it twice. That's amazing. I've heard about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm the reviewer. You'll see that. (laughs) David, someone's read it twice. Ding, ding, ding. You ring the bell. Well, before we dive into the strategy behind value graphics, I'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So I always like to start with what was your first marketing role or what you would consider marketing and what are you doing now? I was that freaky kid who tried to figure out ways to sell stuff to my friends. Every time someone's pet died, I was the funeral director and I'd arrange the funeral and get the snacks and burial and we would have a little ceremony and then I'd charge a fee. So event management. Event management. I, in high school, started putting on fundraising stuff for different groups within the high school that I was part of. And so some of those things carry on today. My mom is always very proud to tell me that some of those fundraising events that I started. So again, events. Hmm, I hadn't thought about this before. I know. And then in university, I had a job. I was a Canadian going to school in the States. It was at the mall and they could pay me in gift certificates. So I put on events at the mall and I got paid in gift certificates. I just went on shopping sprees. Uh, So yeah, events. Wow. Yeah. You see that? Interesting. We're helping you discover you. What do you do now? So my last role in the marketing world was I actually had my own marketing company. We specialized in helping large-scale real estate developments with their positioning and branding and messaging. We did this all over the world. And it's a good sort of origin story for what I do now. So I'll tell you the rest of the story. Like everybody in marketing, the very first thing we would do with every client is they would sit down and say, here's what we're trying to sell and how many condos or resort homes or offices or whatever. And we come up with a target audience description. And that target audience description inevitably would be demographics and a little bit of information about past behaviors or preferences or something like that. 
they all started to be the same. So I referred to these descriptions, these personas as Bob and Sally. So it was always Bob and Sally. We were making condos for Bob and Sally and resort homes for Bob and Sally. And they all were more or less the same. And here's what kept happening. We'd spend half a million, million, million and a half trying to get Bob and Sally to buy a condo. And the cool thing about that industry is after you've spent all that money and you've been successful and sold all the condos, resort homes, you get to meet Bob and Sally. You get to be in a room with them and you all have a shrimp on a stick and a glass of cheap champagne and you sit around and say, yay, look at us. We all all got a new condo. And I'd look around that room and maybe 10 to 15% of the people in the room were Bob and Sally. So who were all those other people? What were they doing there? I hadn't spent any money talking to them in their channels. I hadn't thought about them in their positioning and the strategies we put together. We hadn't written creative for them. And yet here they were. Why? So that was the mystery at the heart of why we got into doing what we do today. So I sold my company and sat about to see if I could figure this out. And fast forward to today, we've now learned that the reason all those people were in that room, even though they looked dissimilar on the outside. They weren't all Bobs and Sallys. They all on the inside had a set of shared values because what we've learned is values are the only way that humans know how to make decisions. So we were inadvertently saying stuff that was ringing the values bells for this group of people. And they were like, here we are. So they were exactly the same as each other. We just didn't look the same as each other because we were using the wrong lenses. We were using demographics and going, gosh, they're not all the same demographics. They're all the same psychographics. What's going on here? They were all the same value graphics. They all had the same value. So that was the eureka moment, the mystery, the eureka moment. And now we've figured out how we can do this, how we can look at a group of people that we're trying to sell something to, market something to, and understand in advance what their shared values are and use that as a new kind of insights for marketers, which are far more powerful than using demographics and psychographics. I love that. Now, about what it is that you do now, what do you love? But conversely, if there was one thing you could pluck out and it would make your job perfection, what would that be? There's lots of things. I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed. I'm one of those people who leaps out of bed in the morning, excited about what I get to do all day. So whether it's delivered as a keynote speech or a report for a client, or a piece of content going out on social media, the common thread that I love is we have this massive database that lets me understand what makes people tick. So every day I get to think about a new group of people and go, well, gee, gin martini drinkers, why aren't they drinking vodka martinis? Or people who are going to buy a new North Face jacket next week, or PayPal customers or donors to the United Nations or parents buying school supplies or pet food shoppers. Every day, there's a new group of people we get to understand and look at them and go, wow, that's why they're doing that. Interesting. If only the people in that industry knew. And so that's what I get to spend my day doing. So it's very, very fun. What would you pluck out of what you do? Is there anything you would pluck out or is it just perfection all the way through? Yeah, if I had one thing I could change, it would be, I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to sound, but there's no other way to say it. Okay. I would change the obscurity of who we are right now. This tool, these insights can be useful for every company in the world to understand what their customers, their prospects, their employees, their funders, their donors, what people care about and what makes them human. And right now we're in a period of time where I think the world could use this, not just to make more money, but to make the world a better place. 
if we all ran around understanding each other inside each other's hearts, if we understood each other like friends, if marketing became, what do my friends want from me today? And you knew what that was, you would make marketing for your friends all day long because you know them that well. That's just a better way for all of us in marketing, but also in sales and in leadership and in politics and in every aspect of human life for us to be able to finally stop using discriminatory stereotypes. Well, women are all mm -hmm. like that and Gen Z is all like this. And it's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. Our global database has proven that it's nonsense. So yes, we're driven to help our clients and our customers and the people I get to speak to when I'm on stage speaking. I want them to all understand this stuff and use it. But the one thing I could change is I want everybody to have access to this and to start living a values-driven life. You bring up so many good points, which actually we will dive into later. It's taking all of me to hold back on that because I just empathize and sympathize with that sentiment so much that from a marketing perspective, we are very focused on what are the demographics, psychographics, firmographics, all of these are going to tell me this is how I can market to that. But then I actually start to think of myself and I start to think, all right, what generation am I, right? I'm a Gen Xer. Do I fall in line with all these things? Now, I also have immigrant parents. That in and of itself drives my values very differently. So I now all of a sudden don't fall into all of the norms of using Gen X as an example. And you know what? No one does. Yeah. So if no one falls into the norms, why are we using them? This is exactly what we're going to talk about. But before we dive into that, what I'm really also very curious about, and I ask all of my guests this, is I believe that as humans, we want to absorb information. We're looking for inspiration, education, and entertainment. Do you go to any social networks for one or all of these? And if so, which social networks do you go to? And I'm thinking traditional social networks like, are you on Twitter? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on TikTok, Instagram? Do you go to any of these social networks for inspiration, entertainment, and education? I use social media channels in maybe ways that other people don't, but you know what? Nobody fits into the norms. So everyone's using them for their own reasons. So for me, LinkedIn is where I get to stay in touch with all of the fabulous people I've met around the world. Every time I speak, I make a thousand new friends and in a new industry who start to follow and I get to talk with them and learn more about their industry. So LinkedIn is like on a professional level. It's just so fun because I get to hang out with all these cool people from all over the world. Instagram for me is primarily people who've crossed the line and become friend friends. Twitter fuels so much Google Analytics for me and so much traffic to my website, but I don't really do much there except wide-eyed scroll and go, whoa, look at what's going on here. Well, it's definitely a place for information is what I meant, not inspiration. But I always find Twitter is really great for identifying something that I want to learn more about, potentially, because someone has said something and I'm like, let me read up a little bit more. I definitely don't believe that like you can get all of your information in a tweet or even like a thread of a tweet, but definitely sends me down a rabbit hole. Yeah. And some of those rabbit holes, the Twitter algorithm notices that I'm doing stuff and it just feeds me more of that stuff. But it seems like any topic I put in there, suddenly I'm reading about how Hillary as the head of a child sacrificing cabal. <laughs> 
<laughs> the crazy there and how fast everyone can bring a topic back to the crazy, right? Let's have a little conversation yeah. here about blah, blah, blah. And suddenly it's all about crazy. It's a wild west right now. And maybe it'll get turned around in the next little while, but it's actually a great story of a company where under new management, the new owner came in and suddenly just did not care about anybody's values. The staff's values, yeah. the advertiser's values, the user's values, just like, yeah, I'm doing things my way. And so there's a dumpster fire. And yeah. the folks who are left are the ones whose values are somehow aligned with this new vision, whatever it might be. And you know, there's a new president, CEO has just been hired. So it's going to be interesting to watch, but it's definitely an experiment in values, as is everything. I absolutely agree. And I almost feel like that could be its own podcast because as you were saying that as well, too, I thought, well, the values, the people who stay, their values align with that disruption, right? The shaking things up. That's what I see. It's less about this alignment with the change in management, but it's almost like something inside applauding like, yeah, let's disrupt, let's make things happen. So I think that will be an interesting experiment. So that's how you're leveraging some social media networks. How do you stay up to date on trends in general, if not on social media? Is there a newsletter? Are you a podcast absorber? Are there books? Like, How are you staying up to date on the trends that are happening? Yeah, it's primarily LinkedIn. It's also as I'm out being a speaker, I end up mm -hmm. amazing conferences around the world and I get to listen to other amazing speakers. And a lot of it is I just my wonderful, lovely network of friends and supporters who send me stuff. So they know I'm the values guy. And so anything that comes along that has anything to do with values, I get somebody, sometimes many somebodies are, are sending me links to things. So keep it up, everybody, if you're listening, because I love it. It's great having this whole universe of curators out there looking for me and finding stuff and sending it in. I love it. I was just going to say that you have your own curated newsletter list that gets delivered to you as it happens, which is fantastic. I'm very lucky. Okay. This is a great tip for anybody who feels like they're really, really busy and doesn't have time to read books or stay on top of stuff. So I used to have this guy in my life who was my trainer and he was a voracious reader and working on his master's degree, very, very smart guy. And so I'd see him two or three times a week. And we had this deal that I would pay for any book I wanted him to read. I would give him a hard copy of the book. He would read it. And then while we were training, he would tell me what was in the book. So he was basically a personal reader. So I would be on the bench lifting things. He's like, yeah, you know, then the second half of the book got into this other stuff. And I'm not sure if I absolutely agree with it, but it was like, da, 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 da. so I was getting this translation of the book and I got through so many books in the couple of years that we were working out together. It was a great deal. So it's not the deal part. It's the idea. Why not find somebody in your life who loves reading and get them to read books and talk to you about books? Well, and I also think it makes the topics or what you're reading about so much stickier in your mind because you're then having a conversation. Because I would imagine then that kind of relationship elicits a back and forth about a particular topic. If he's like, oh, I don't really agree with that. Like, I would naturally be like, well, why don't you agree with that? Oh, that's really interesting. It really animates it. It's almost this combination of audiobooks and podcasts, but breaking the fourth wall so that you can also engage with it as well, too. Yeah, and a little bit of pr uh, private book club. Yeah, yes, exactly. I think that we've come up with a new business here. 
Well, I'm ready to dive into value graphics. You already alluded as to what it is, but give me an overview. What is value graphics and what value does that bring for marketers or in marketing specifically? There's so many ways to tell this story. So let's start by defining what marketing is. Marketing is helping people find the right stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's smarter people out there who have big, long definitions, but it all boils down to just helping people make a decision. So if that's the unifying truth behind all the different functionality around marketing, everything from topography to channels, to mainstream media, to content, to branding, to strategy, to everything, it's all about trying to get some people to make a decision. So if that's the case, I think we owe it to ourselves to know how do people make decisions. And for that, we should turn to the experts. And the experts are people who work in all the different fields of behavioral science who've been studying this forever. Psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists, sociologists, I all have their own different perspective on this, but they all have been trying to figure out how do humans decide to do stuff? And that's what marketers want to know. So we started there and we did a big deep dive and said, okay, we're here to try and build a thing that's going to help marketers understand how to get people to make decisions. How do people make decisions? Let's look at behavioral science. Behavioral science taught us one core unifying principle that humans make decisions, all decisions, every day, every single decision based on their values. You don't get to opt out. You don't get to say, well, this is a big decision. I'll use my values. That's a little, you don't even know it's happening. The choice that you made today to wear what you're wearing was somehow driven in a split second without you even knowing by your values. What's on your walls, what you had for breakfast, who you married, what you studied for school, everything was driven by values alignment. So the process the brain is doing is trying to find the stuff that's most aligned with our values. Now I can get into a big long conversation about how it's a neurological process and it's inside the prefrontal cortex and it's a little piece of the brain called the insula and blah, 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 blah. But basically as humans, we're all just running around every day trying to find as much values alignment as possible. So that's the secret. The secret to marketing, if what we're here to do is help people make decisions, is to understand how they make decisions and people only make decisions in pursuit of values alignment. So as a marketer, our job is to give people as much values alignment as possible. So we developed a tool so that we can look at groups of people and say, what are their values? So marketers can go, all right, I can give them that. Here's the parts of my story, the parts of the features I can focus on, the benefits I can point to, the way I can set things up in terms of customer service or any aspect of what we're doing so that it's aligned with those values. Because as marketers, we have to sit around and make some decisions. We sit in a room and we say, what's going to work here? Let's look at the demographics and the psychographics and what our competitors are doing and what the pricing situation is and how many resources we can apply to this situation, all that other stuff. And then at some point, we just have to, the researchers call it the last mile. You have to make a leap of faith and go, okay, based on all that stuff, here's what we're going to try. And from that point forward, it's playing poker, right? You put your bet on the table, you see what kind of cards you get, and you may have to play a few more hands and eventually you hope you get a winning hand and something works. But what if that last mile could just be like a last hundred yards? Yeah. You knew exactly what your target audience was going to gravitate towards. You knew what values alignment they were looking for every day. You wouldn't have as much of a poker hand to play. You would be a lot more certain. In fact, as much as eight times more certain using values to help you understand 
what the consumer decision-making process is going to be. So that's what value graphics are. It's a way to profile a group of people just like demographics or psychographics and say, what are their value graphics? For this persona, for this product, what are the values we need to focus on? And for this other persona, for that same product, what are the values we need to focus on? And it can happen for anything anywhere in the world. Now, do you find that you can marry, and this may sound like a ridiculous question, because I, as a marketer, I'm still stuck in the buyer persona mindset, right? In the buyer persona mindset from what we were talking about, the demographic, the firmographic, the psychographic, those things. Is there a way that all of that works together with value graphics or is the pitch more, let's focus on value graphics and not worry about the other stuff? I'm marinating in my own bathwater. So of course, I think the world should be all about value (laughs) graphics and nothing else. But yes, they play very, very nicely together. And in fact, they help each other. Mm -hmm. We talk about this as the three-legged stool of audience insights. So we have demographics, psychographics, value graphics, and you need all three legs to be sturdy. Yeah. The problem is we've been using demographics and psychographics to do more than they're actually capable of. So demographics are a great way to, I just say, put a fence around a group of people. Yeah. I always reach for my reading glasses. There's a demographic reality. These are not selling to 17-year-old girls. These are made for, they're big and wide for a man's face, and they're made for guys my age who need reading glasses. So there's a demographic reality. You put a fence around them. But what we've been doing wrong is then saying, okay, since my target audience is male and they, you know, a certain age, and let's say they're made out of platinum, they're not, but let's say they're made out of platinum, so they have to have a certain income. Now I know who they are. Well, no, you don't know who they are. All you know is what they are. You have no idea what's actually going on on the inside. You just got some idea of what they look like on the outside. So it's still useful but it's not going to get you all the way there. And that's the problem we've been having with marketing in general is that we think demographic descriptions somehow give us a glimpse inside people's souls and understand what's going on in their heads. And and it doesn't, it doesn't at all. And then psychographics, second leg of the stool is a term that again, there's a billion definitions for. My favorite one is just what's happened so far. Everything from likes and preferences and click studies and geotargeting and all this. So somebody sent out a memo like, 10 years ago and said, data is the new oil. And everybody started collecting all of this. You know, <laughs> and we have psychographic data now on how many times people burp while they're looking at a website. It's crazy the amount of psychographic data that we have. I mean, there wasn't the term data paralysis 10 years ago. We have that term now. People collect too much information about their clients. Yeah. All of that, no matter how sophisticated the collection mechanisms and collection methodologies are, it all comes from exactly the same place which is the past. Because if we wrote it down and we know it, it's historical. Even if it happened 30 seconds ago, it's historical. It's over. It's like a look in the rear view mirror. So you're trying to drive this car forward. You got two tools right now. You got a description of the people, not who they are. You're trying to drive the car forward by looking in the rear view mirror. What you need to do is look at the front windshield and see what's coming next. And that's their values that will take you there and tell you which way this car is going to head. So if you get all three of them working together, you have value graphics as a description, psychographics as a historical record, and value graphics as the predictive insights that tells you what people will say yes to. It does make sense to me. I think the natural knee jerk is, oh my gosh, how can I bucket people then? Not that I want to, but as a marketer, you have to. It's not one-to-one, it's one-to-many. So is it possible to get down to these buckets and what do these buckets look like so that I don't have 
10,000 people that I'm marketing to. So they feel like one-on-one and more of like, Hey, these are either my five or 10 groups that my brand aligns to that I want to market to. How do I get to those buckets? So you're talking about a segmentation model, essentially. Yes. Some people will call them personas, but let me back up. There's two ways that you can do this. If you have pre-existing personas, mm-hmm. we run into companies who are like, we just spent $3 million determining our personas and there's yeah. no way we're changing them. It's all been sold up to the CEO and back down again, and that's not changing. So cool. We can take those personas and we'll go value graphically profile them for you. And come back and say, here's the value graphics you can layer on top of each of your personas. So it works and it's fine. It's very, very useful. I don't want to denigrate that. But again, if what we're about as marketers is trying to get people to do things, doesn't it make more sense to put segments or personas based on what will make people do things? These people, you need to push these buttons. This other segment here, you need to push these buttons. And this other one here, they got slightly different buttons. You got to push those ones. So if we begin the process with a value graphic segmentation and you have value graphic personas, you can layer your demographics and psychographics on top of those. Now you got groups of people that are basically the reason you would do things different for one versus another is very clear and very data driven. Yeah. This group wants vanilla ice cream. That group wants chocolate ice cream, as opposed to putting a group together and saying, here's a bunch of consumers who are 45 years old, earn $75,000 a year and have a blue collar job. And a bunch of them like ice cream of various flavors. And here's what those are. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I do see where you're going. And so that just gives me the ability to figure out what I need to do next. Well, I'm sold on value graphics. What I want to know is if I can't hire you and your company to run value graphics, is there a way for me to do it? Are there questions that I can ask that help me get to some of that information so I can better create those segments. Yeah. I mean, as much as we need to all pay our rents and mortgages over here, our real mission in life is to try and get the world to use values as a way to understand each other. So various ways you can do this that are not about hiring us. The first one, it's going to cost you about like $16, whatever they sell my book for. In the book, there's a 15 question quiz Take those questions, you load them up into your CRM system and SurveyMonkey or Quiz Orangutan or MailChimp or whatever these things are, and send it out to people. And the responses will point you to one of 15 chapters in the book. And those chapters are the 15 biggest, biggest archetypes inside the data set. And so you'll find out that the people you sent your survey to, they're actually chapter six. And here's everything we know about the people who fit into that group. Now, here's the flaw. It's great. You're playing the value graphics piano. You're using the right instrument. But the premise is that the entire population of the world fits into 15 groups. That's rough and ready to say that we can all be put into 15 groups. In fact, if we're trying to figure out how many segments there are for people in the world, it's an infinite number. Be suspicious of anyone who comes to you from any company who's trying to sell you insights and says, we have 122 kinds of people. And no matter who you are, you're going to fit into those categories. It's like 122. Really? There's 9 billion people in the world. Every time we profile, we go and we find another segment we've never seen before because that's just how complex humans are. You can't bucket them up that easy. Anyway, I'm off track. (laughs) I was following. So yes, there's a quiz in there. You can use the quiz. It tells you everything we know about those 15 big, I told you it's like the value graphics piano. You're playing the piano with your fist though. 
at least you're playing the piano, right? At least you're using value graphics. And then the third way is entirely free. And I'm going to tell it to you right now. There's three questions that you can use. We call them the three telltale questions. And we've tested these over and over and over again. Before I tell you what the questions are, here's what you need to do. You need to ask as many people these questions as possible over the longest period of time that you can handle. So if you're a retailer, for example, train your frontline sales team to weave these questions into casual conversation while you're putting things into a bag. If you've got a customer service group that's talking to people on the phone while you're talking to them, see if they can weave one or two of these questions in. You're going to have to figure out some way to collect all of the feedback. It's going to be long form answers. People are going to say all kinds of different things. But what you're doing is trying to amass as many answers as possible and then look at them and you'll see themes. Mm -hmm. Guarantee it. People will say it in different ways. You'll see themes. Those themes are the values bubbling up to the surface. So this is the absolutely free way to do it. Three questions. First one, why do you go to work? Hmm, interesting. People will tell you to pay my bills because I want to succeed. I want to be the CEO. It's my creative outlet. It's for my family. You're going to hear all kinds of responses and you want to capture as many as you can and you just want to see what those themes are. Second question, why would you give away half of your lottery winnings? Now, this one you have to probe a little deeper because people will say, well, my sister and cancer and say, no, no, not what would you give it to? Lots of good causes out there. But why would you give away half your lottery winnings? Is it about fame? Is it about feeling like you need to be of service to other people in the world? Is it because sister, therefore family? What is the reason why yeah. you would do something like that? And then the third one, which is my favorite and is also an amazing friend testing device. So get your friends together for it. dinner, a couple glasses of wine and everybody, and then pop this question out. You're going to learn a lot about your friends. So this question is, you get to write a letter to yourself from 10 years ago. What would you say? And more importantly, why would you say those things? So let's deconstruct that one a little bit. People are going to say, they're going to be smart. And they're going to say like, buy Google stock. Like, yeah, okay. We're all going to buy stock. Great. But why? Well, so I have more money. Why do you want more money? So I can have a bigger house. Why do you want a bigger house? So that I can have a bigger family. And at some point, if you do that 10-year-old boy why, but why, but why, but why questioning when you can't get any further down, you got a value. And that holds true for all three of those questions. So you got to have that inner 10 year old kid in you who's just going, but why, but why? And when there's no more answers, those are the values. Ooh, I love that. And I'm going to jot them down for the next dinner conversation that I have as well, too. I love that third one, but especially the second one, because I immediately was like, what would my answer be? Then I'm picturing the why part to drill down. What is my actual value? I think it's really an interesting self-reflective questions to answer for yourself and to see just what archetypes I would potentially fall into. Because as I said, I've read your book twice. What I really also love about it is to your point, you have like the 15, but you have this percentage at the beginning of people in this group agree 80% of the time, which I feel like is a really great, ah, I get it. No one's bucketed necessarily. And there's no if, ands, or buts. There's a lot of room for that 20% that maybe don't fall into that. There's 56 values. 
And we all have somewhere around 10, 11, or 12 that we're actively running on at any given moment in time. It doesn't mean you don't have the rest of them. It just means they're not important to you. And so that's what those charts that you're referring to show us is like, so for this group of people, 87% of them are all agree on this value and 73% of them all agree on this value. So you're going to choose the ones that are most powerful for whatever you're trying to accomplish and then give those people as much alignment to those values as you possibly can. You have on the board behind you a bunch of photos, and I think I can see that there's some kids there, and I think there's some medals that are hanging there that look like from a yes. athletic <laughs> trophy or something. So tell me about the medals. What are those are? So one of them is for a half marathon I ran, and then the other two are for a mud run that my kids did that my brother organized. So my brother did it with them. I kept it for them. Also, I'm insanely proud of them. So that helps. Of course. Summarize the photos for me. Are they all family pics? I can't quite see. Are they travel pics? All family and friends pics. And if you were to walk in my house, I love pictures. I love pictures of my immediate family, my extended family, my adopted non-blood family of friends. So we've got them aligned everywhere. And the world map, what's that all about? Oh, that was a gift from someone that thought that I would like it. I wish I could say that I'm a world traveler, so I like to like pin things, but maybe that's a dream state. It's nice because she thought of me and she's like, this would be perfect for you. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. So I put it in my office and I have nothing pinned to it. <laughs> but it's there. There's a map of the world. Yeah. Got a whiteboard and some books. Then I'll be done. Tell me a little bit more about those. Yeah. Okay. So the whiteboard is because I think better when I actually write ideas out, right? So as a marketer, I'm always like, all right, an email nurture stream. Before I can actually get it down, even in a flow chart, I have to physically write it out. So I really like that. So I use the whiteboard for those big thoughts that then I erase and then can go and put into digital form. Are they all marketing books? Yeah, those are my basic books. So I have a thesaurus and a dictionary, but the rest of the books all tend to be all business, marketing, self-help, because I strive to be better. You're an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you started your own thing. Well, I did start my own podcast. And it's ironic, you're not the first person to say that to me. And I don't ever categorize myself as an entrepreneur or even think that I fall within that. It's probably because I am so type A, I like control and order. And I think as an entrepreneur, there are so many ideas that you want to get executed. So I always like to describe myself as the person that works with the entrepreneur to get those things executed and done and complete. You have a favorite restaurant and a seat at that restaurant and a thing on the menu you like or not? Not. You know what? Any of my family listening would be like, that's not true. I love the same thing. I eat the same thing every single day. But my husband's a bit of a foodie, so we always experiment, but we always sit at the bar, like love to sit at the bar, whether we're drinking or not. I'm profiling you value graphically right now in case you wonder what's going on. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can't wait. The last question I have for you is, do you collect anything? It doesn't have to be a physical object. It can be experiences. It can be anything. Is there a category that you collect? Yes, absolutely. I collect jewelry. I love necklaces, earrings, accessories, any of that stuff. Okay, here we go. I've been scribbling notes. So this is pretty unscientific, but of the 56 values, what I'm already seeing evidence of, if I was going to try and sell you something, 
I would be trying to tell you how this is going to give you values alignment around some of the values that you hold really, really dear. Things like family and friends, obviously very, very important to you. It's an easy one to see. Health and well-being is also there. It's not just that you're healthy and as trying to stay well. You're proud of your kids for also being healthy and well. So proud of yourself and your kids for being healthy and well that you got medals hanging on the wall of honor behind you. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I go to the gym like everybody goes to the gym. It's a big driver in your life is being healthy and well, and particularly as it relates back to your friends and your family. So those ones I see as being combined. Now, you also have a big streak of self-expression and creativity. So I'm seeing that just in the fact that you like to express yourself with jewelry. You want to wear different things. You're projecting a message and saying, here's how I feel today. I'm sparkly and big, or I'm small and dainty. Yeah. As you're telling the world, so it's your kind of mood ring. Here's what's going on in my life today. And the creativity is part of that as well. Now, because it's collection-based, people who collect things have a high degree of loyalty So the fact you also like to sit in the same place and eat the same kind of food is also another trait that's a loyalty to a ritual, loyalty to a way that things should go. And you mentioned that your husband likes to rock it up a little bit, and you did that with a grin. It was like, I'd rather he didn't, but we do that sometimes. We do crazy things. (laughs) Yeah, We'd rather have the loyal, repetitive ritual that you know exactly how things are going to go. Yes. So you've got this loyalty feeding into your creativity, feeding into your self-expression. The creativity is also coming out because of that board. You need to draw stuff and make sure that you're getting it all in your head. And it's not enough to just read it or write it down. So there's this what's in me and I need people to see that stuff. And then I'm seeing a bunch of ambition. And then the one that's maybe hiding in there because you refuse to call yourself an entrepreneur is personal responsibility. You like to be the one that gets stuff done. I'm going to project out say here and say within your friends and or certain friends and family groups, you're the one who organizes the stuff. So, okay, everybody, haven't seen each other for a little while. We're getting together. We're doing this thing. It might have something to do with health and well-being, and it might also have something to do with creativity and self-expression, the stuff that you organize for your friends who you are loyal to and want to see also be healthy and well. How am I doing? I think that you're doing pretty good. I would say that I'm the game organizer, which feeds into the creativity part. So if there is going to be a gathering, it will be organized. We will have fun and I will pull people in. Yeah, That's definitely my ish for sure. So now knowing that about you, I could probably sell you pretty much anything. And if an entire segment of my target audience was just like that, I wouldn't have much trouble figuring out how to market to them, would I? It would be far more useful than understanding that they are 18 to 24-year-old males who earn $100,000 a year and have bought my product three times before in the past. Cool, but how does that help me? What we just went through helps me, helps me, helps me, right? It's a huge difference. Oh, that's so true. Also, feel very vulnerable. I was hoping you would give an example. I did not realize I would be the example, but I'm here for it. (laughs) Well, and now I will turn the spotlight to you because I am down to my final question. I would love to know if you knew then what you know now, what's that marketing advice that you give to yourself or any advice? The hardest thing I've learned and the most valuable thing I've learned is to wake up every morning and not fight, but embrace that you're going to be wrong about something today. Hmm. Many of us spend a big portion of our early career trying to desperately always be right. 
And we just need everyone to know that we're smart and that we know stuff and that we did that before and I got it. But when you start waking up and going, what am I going to be wrong about today? You suddenly open your mind, you learn new things, you meet new people, you're surprised. You're like, wow, I've always done it that way, but I'm not going to anymore because now I found out that's just not right anymore. The world's moved on. I don't need to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way instead. So just embracing the wrong is the best thing I've learned. It's so funny because you say embracing the wrong, which sounds negative, but it's so positive because it does leave you open up to wonder what it is. And also you've gotten it out of the way, right? You've woken up and you've said there is for sure a mistake that's going to happen. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but maybe it always does because you're looking for it. Is this what it is? Huh? I had a different idea. I love that advice. I hope everyone has jotted that down. Also have jotted down my values. Feel free to market to me. I am definitely a demographic and I will stay loyal. David, thank you so much for the time that you've given me for my self-analyzation. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're very, very welcome. I hope that you guys liked this episode. I know it went a little longer than the other episodes, and I definitely got put on the spot towards the end. I'll be honest, a little uncomfortable, but still totally worth it. Literally every time I talk to David, I learn something new, and I am such a super fan. I have read his book a couple times. I cannot recommend it enough. So it was tough to get three key takeaways, but I've got them and I'm going to keep them short and sweet, especially since I've kept you so long for this episode. The first one is embrace the power of values. Understanding the values of your target audience can revolutionize your marketing strategy. By tapping into what really truly matters to your customers, you can create this meaningful connection and deliver messages that resonate with them on a deeper level. Number two, move beyond demographics. Demographics alone don't give you a complete picture of your audience. Psychographics and values offer valuable insight into people's motivations and behaviors, their why. Combining all three, demographics, psychographics, and values can really help you create more effective and personalized marketing campaigns. And number three, embrace the wrong. Be open to the idea that you may be wrong about something every day. Embracing the potential for mistakes allows you to stay curious, continuously learn, and adapt your marketing strategies to stay relevant in an ever-changing world. It's okay to pivot and grow with new insights and discoveries. Remember, as marketers, our ultimate goal is to connect with the people authentically and create meaningful experiences for our audience. Understanding their values and motivations is really the key to achieving this and building strong, long-lasting relationships with customers. I'm so excited about it. I would love to hear what your thoughts were. What key takeaways did you have? Slide into my DMs and share them with me. Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team and content allies. Check out our episode page to learn a little bit more about David or how you can get in touch with me. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya, signing off.